0: companies expect every employee to behave professionally in the workplace, but that doesn't always happen. Lack of professionalism by a worker can cause a wide range of issues, not only to the bottom line performance of the employee, but also to his or her co-workers and to the business. It can be particularly disrupting in the healthcare field. That's why, in part, the Perelman School of Medicine here at the University of Pennsylvania started a professionalism campaign designed to address the problems that occur in in the high-stress world of medical care. Uh, joining us here in studio, Dr. Jody Foster, who's a clinical professor of psychiatry and chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania Hospital. She serves also as vice chair for clinical operations in the Department of Psychiatry and is executive clinical director of the professionalism campaign here at Penn Medicine. Great to see you again. Thanks for coming in.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you. It has been uh, two years since we talked to you last. You were uh, one of the co-authors on uh on your fantastic book that uh, that we uh, talked about about the uh, the office schmuck that would right. be around, and this plays off of that a little bit because this is a this is a a significant concern in so many fields. You look at it in the medical field, but a, across business as a whole, you find these people that 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 are very disruptive within their particular their particular landscape.
1: Right. I I look at it actually in all fields because this is an absolutely ubiquitous issue and it's become uh, much more of the cultural conversation these days. So what was the tell us about the campaign and what was really the driver behind it? So, uh, as I mentioned, you know the culture is changing, and uh, you really uh, can't uh, read an, uh, an article or, or, or hear the news without hearing something about somebody's behavior in some way lately. And so, uh, it's the, the the national threshold in medicine and uh, in other settings, just the cultural threshold for uh, tolerance of incivility and lapses in professionalism, has really just dropped. And uh, our dean, uh, Larry Jamison, was, I believe, uh, reviewing some of the comments from our medical students about their experiences on some of the clinical rotations. And in reading some of the comments, it really, I think, drove home for him that professionalism is an issue right here at home and that we need to really address it in a, in a structured way.
0: So when did this all start and how, how is it playing out right now?
1: So uh, the announcement of the campaign came back in May. Um, and as part of the campaign, there was a decision to uh, have a, an assistant dean uh, for professionalism. And, and I was um, happily chosen to take on that role. Um, and we've been doing a number of things to just try to um, uh, lay the foundation and, and the, the structural scaffolding to, to build uh, a professionalism structure that uh, will, over time, change our culture. So one of those things is, you know, uh, basically a value statement. What is what is professionalism right. at Penn Medicine? What is our code of conduct? You know, and, and I uh, I think code of conduct can be a little funny because obviously when you're about to act out in some way, if you're going to do something terrible, you don't say, hey, wait, let me check the code of conduct. I, I'm and breaking see if the I code of conduct. Yeah, I can I do right. this thing? You don't you don't do that. Right. Um, at the same time, having it sort of lays out what what you believe in and what your value system is. And this becomes important in, in pretty much every aspect of work, even, particularly as you're bringing someone into an organization. The clearer sure. you are. When you're interviewing somebody about what your culture and what your value system is, the more able you're going to be to convey that, you know, those essentially rules of engagement of what does it mean to be here? Right. And in so doing, you're going to be able to convey to the people who are interviewing for jobs at your organization that, oh, this is a place that that melds with who I am or does not. And it helps people make better decisions about fitting themselves in appropriate cultures, and that alone can bypass a number of the conflicts that come up in the workplace. So
0: is it at that point the HR point that that this really starts for for the entire company?
1: I would say that that um uh these cultural misfits are uh, a big reason for conflicts that occur in the workplace. Right. Um and that's just one part of, of our campaign for professionalism, but it's a, it's a super important part. It's so important that uh, we are in the process of developing something that we're calling a success profile okay. where we've uh, collected like the five or six top lapses or breaches of professionalism that occur and uh, we're taking them because they you know these are stories that occur over and over and over again and we're turning it on its side and saying okay well if this is what behavior that we don't support looks like right. what does behavior that we want to encourage look like sure. and we're uh, creating a success profile template based upon that so that when we're you know thinking about promoting someone or thinking about giving an award to somebody we can say you know th- this person really does embody or exemplify these these qualities because uh, again, um, and we discussed this when we were talking about the book last time I was on the show, certainly my belief, and I think an appropriate belief, is that you know people are not inherently malicious. People don't set out to be disruptive. People are people, and right. we all have traits. We all have characteristics, and we bring those characteristics around with us all the time, at right. home, at work, whatever. And if we have inadvertently found ourselves in a culture where the way that we navigate the world doesn't work, We are going to have conflicts. And so, again, yeah, the front door is a really important place. We're picking up some of these things becomes very important.
0: But then you think about uh, some of the other components that many companies try to, to put in place these days. Like you, you see so many companies now with personal wellness programs to try and Im- improve the physical side uh, of the employee. But uh, to a degree, I think there's also the element of, of improving the mental side as well.
1: Well, I mean, I think improving improving wellness uh, by design will improve the, the mental side. You know, yeah. I mean, work is inherently stressful, uh, depending on what you're doing. I mean, uh, it's it's The very lucky person whose work is just, you know, nothing but joy and relaxation all day long. And (laughs) and so, um, you know, uh, uh, even even just the the um, the statement made by paying attention to wellness, by paying attention to incivility, by paying attention to the things uh, that that drag a person down at the workplace. It's so important because it is these little itty bitty things that taken together make up the work day and the work, you know. Collections of work days make up a work life, and and this has to do with our feelings about a job.
0: But the the understanding of of many of these components around professionalism this, as we mentioned, it obviously is important when you're talking about the HR process, but it goes all the way up the corporate ladder, Absolutely. all the way, all the way to the C-suite. And obviously, with some of the news stories that we've seen in the last decade or so, exactly. coming from the recession on, we understand that at times the professionalism even of the C-suite is not where it needs to well,
1: be. Well, and that's exactly right, and that's why it's so important for there to be a a bought into code that you know an an ethical code an accountable social contract that this is how we behave here and yeah if the if the ceo or someone in the c-suite is not behaving that way and they are continue to be propagated amidst uh you know uh uh, uh, statements to the contrary well that's going to undermine the entire it's going to undermine the entire process it's like having a zero tolerance policy for behavior, and then when somebody breaches it saying, oh, okay, just this once. It just doesn't work.
0: Right. We're joined here in studio by Dr. Jody Foster of the Perelman School of Medicine here at the University of Pennsylvania. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON-844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. There are also the components of, because of the fact that so many businesses want to see teams doing projects, There is the the issue of teamwork and trust that obviously plays into this this need for professionalism as well.
1: Right. And uh, uh, where teamwork comes in is that we have to create what, what we call psychologically safe cultures, where if something's occurring in the team or with a coworker, wherever it is, that is upsetting, disruptive, difficult, whatever it is, we have to create environments where it's safe to simply say, you know, I don't like that or that doesn't work for me or I don't like what you just did. Right. Because all of the noise that occurs around incivility and, and, and professionalism, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we simply don't directly intervene with one another in the moment when these things come up. So if you have a team where uh, there's sort of this a sore thumb who is really uh, disrupting various aspects of the flow of the team, and and nobody feels safe enough or able to give feedback or to intervene or to uh, you know make structural changes around it? You're going to have a problem. It's going to bring the whole team down. How? Uh,
0: let's take this into the realm of of your world into medicine, and how prevalent are some of these issues within? The, the scope of a hospital and and the kind of the medical industry as whole. Well.
1: well, so the the issues are ubiquitous, and I would say they are as ubiquitous in the medical industry as everywhere else. Okay. The thing about the medical industry is that the stakes are higher because sure. yeah. um, uh, if there is behavior that that uh, the terminology we use is undermines a culture of safety, right. then. People on edge who are taking care of other people are more apt to make mistakes. Right. And then it becomes dangerous. And that's why it's such a big issue in healthcare.
0: So how how do how do hospitals have to I mean, I would imagine a, a lot of the components that you, you want to approach are similar in the hospital setting than they would be in, Completely. in, in any other business.
1: Completely. And, and um, you know, I, I always joked about the book that, you know, when it was time to decide what to call the book, we called it the schmuck in my office. But it could just as easily have been the schmuck in, in my doctor's office, the schmuck in the, the schmuck in my bedroom, the schmuck in my doctor's office, the schmuck right. in my church, whatever it is, it's, right. it doesn't matter where. Right. But but these these situations are are everywhere. But
0: the expectation is that as as smoothly as an operation may run, that you are going to come across at some point somebody that is is just stirring the pot that is that disruptor and is not going to in many cases follow the normal path.
1: Right, and that and and um, a, an interesting data point on that is is that person who is being perceived as a disruptor in so many of the cases, does not even have awareness that he or she is a disruptor. And uh, the data shows that in about 80% of cases, if you simply confront somebody with their behavior, they will say, oh, I didn't know, and they'll stop. And so what we do is we don't intervene because it's uncomfortable. We let the thing spiral, which is an implicit statement to the bad actor that the behavior is fine, and that's how these things grow like viruses.
0: And somebody will probably, if they have switched jobs and they were the bad actor in one job, they will probably carry a lot of those traits over to the new job, even if they don't fit in with the culture. Correct. Correct. That's exactly right. What is the expectation then that that you believe that that companies can benefit from doing a program like this, that that bringing you on and, and discussing whether it is with the HR or middle management or or the C suite.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of it has to do with knowing oneself, you know. And again, this is why we start with you know, uh, you know, our our values and our and our code of conduct, and and the clearer we are on what is and is not acceptable in our culture, the clearer we are going to be in terms of our boundaries mm-hmm. and our boundaries in terms of what is you know, what are we seeking in somebody that we hire that we promote that we reward and what are we seeking in terms of what kind of place we want this to be the more and and this is as relevant to an individual person as it is to a corporation the better we know ourselves the better able we are to convey what is and is not acceptable in our environment and these are you know th- that is part of the strategy system to mitigating the number and intensity of conflictual events that occur.
0: You talk a, a moment ago about how the impact of, of being a disruptor in the medical industry can obviously be have serious ramifications. A lot of people would say it, it's... It's similar, maybe a little bit different when you talk about generic business because so many of these businesses, especially if they're publicly traded companies, Absolutely. they have to deal with a board of directors. They have profit statements that are coming out every quarter, and there is a financial component to the success which can right. be impacted right. if you have enough right. of these negative disruptors. Well, I
1: remember the lesson in, in uh, business school that you know uh, a bad team can bring down even the best company, and that's just the fact of it and and what happens is um that you know we have some very high value people who are bad actors and yeah. and this happens in medicine this happens everywhere where um because of the value be it financial or otherwise that the individual brings that that there's uh, increased permissiveness for those particular individuals and again this can be very very disturbing um to the people around them
0: what do you how, how do you recommend if somebody is in their office and they know that there is a disruptor there, how do you recommend other people deal with that particular person? Uh,
1: the question was coming from the disruptor no, or, or from, just sort from, of
0: from another member so of, the, is, of the, so, of the so office. So if
1: there is an office and there is a known sort of like sore thumb yes, in, the, in the office, correct. you know, I. Um, I have a number of wonderful anecdotes about this, but our time is limited so i won't i won't uh, uh drag you through them but the fact of the matter is that what we do what our natural tendency to do is to talk about it amongst ourselves at the water cooler, yeah. which is you know a time waster, a productivity downer, and a pre- a preoccupier that uh, uh, impacts the the function of the company. What I would suggest is that direct intervention is the way to go telling cuz like i said in 80% of cases that person doesn't know that this behavior that he or she has been carrying around with them for 30 40 50 years is a problem here yeah and once they hear about it they you know they may say well you know that's me screw you in which case yeah okay you have a better idea of who you're dealing with yeah. or they in more likely than not cases, will say, oh, I I didn't realize that was a problem. I'm so sorry. And then because, you know, our natural tendencies are to behave in patterns. And then six months later, when when that, quote unquote, bad actor is doing that behavior again, because it's natural for him or her to be able to come back and say, hey, Joe, you know, you're doing that thing again that we talked to you about, because it's so much easier to just do sort of a refresher than to wait six months, one year, 10 years and then say, this thing you have always been doing is a problem.
0: But also doing it through what is considered to be the proper structure, the proper path of what the company is doing, not following falling into the path of the of the disruptor, right, right. following through the pattern of the company. Well,
1: again, if you look at the data out of GH Smart, that says that the cost of a bad hire is 15 to 20 times the that that person's salary and then if that individual was allowed to hire his or her own team the cost you know skyrockets exponentially yeah so yeah absolutely but you know it all starts with direct communication the more we can nip things in the bud and be direct and intervene early and and kind of be clear and concise in what we have to say about what is going wrong the better the message is going to come across and the better it's going to be received
0: going back to the hr example for a second then how does this recognition potentially impact what an HR person does on a day-to-day basis in terms of the better understanding of the people that they may be interviewing to potentially come into the this, into that company? Yeah, I
1: mean, the the goal here is to, is to um, give, you know, not even HR people in medicine will be like searching for chairs and have chair search committees and things like that. There's a lot of people doing a lot of interviews. And for all of us to have sort of a shared language and a shared rubric around, you know, what? Are the qualities that we are looking for, yeah. uh, you know, flipped on the side from what the qualities are we know we are not looking for. Again, it just helps people keep in their minds what to be thinking of as as they are speaking and proceeding through the interview process.
0: Do do most people, I think, have the perception that, going back to the healthcare field for a second that that. And not that it's a well-run, well-oiled machine all the time, but that there is an expectation that some of these particular issues would not be occurring, even though you have that at times, the issues of burnout and the the high tension that a lot of people in the medical field are in at times.
1: Right. I mean, you know, uh, we are dealing with people who are, are sick they you know the 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 task at hand is to make people better to figure out what's wrong and make people better yeah. and so you know if we find ourselves too involved in this noise on the side that's obviously going to detract from the the mission at hand and that's why this is such a high stakes area
0: in going back to the example we did a second ago with with understanding when you have somebody who is that agitator how does that Understanding that that discussion go in terms of not only the corporate structure, but in terms of the management structure and involving those people in that process as well.
1: Right. Well, so I mean, and this comes up in every industry. um, It is not uncommon where the rainmaker um, gets special treatment, the person who and and that, like I said, that that really undermines the morale of an institution. So it really starts at the top. There has to be leadership buy in. And that's why it's so great that Penn has initiated a, a, a professionalism campaign coming from the Dean. There has to be leadership buy in that this behavior is not tolerated, no matter who you are, you know no matter where it's coming from it's not tolerated it's not okay, and you're not going to thrive here if this is what you're bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. That message alone is unbelievably important that allows sort of the uh, the fertile ground. For a safe environment where people may have a lower threshold to directly in the moment say, you know, this thing that you are doing right now is a problem for me. Here's yeah. why. Can you please stop? And when that doesn't work or when that's too uncomfortable, that there is a, a structure in place, a leadership structure that's going to be willing and able to receive these these you know complaints or these concerns right. and do something about it. This is what, you know can really, really just scratch away at morale in an organization when that's not present.
0: But I would think that also, and and obviously part of the, the, I think the benefit of of this program, this campaign coming out right now, is what we see in our culture in general. And, And obviously we've seen with the Me Too movement now, we have seen a greater focus on what people do, how they say it, how they approach the uh, you know their time I- in work. There is there is a a larger focus on a lot of these issues in general.
1: Absolutely, and there's and you know and there's another side effect of that, which is that there uh, you know on the other side of people who are are um, uh, uh, complaining or have concerns are the people who don't want to engender complaints and don't know how to act. Right. So a lot of people are are sort of. Uh, You know, walking around essentially in in emotional straitjackets, saying I I don't know what I am allowed to do and not do. So again, it comes back to the clearer we are on what's okay, and and what's not okay. It makes it easier for everybody all around to be able to identify the aberrant and to be able to intervene with the aberrant. But
0: I would think it's also not only defining A, B, and C, what works, what doesn't work, but also trying to make sure that it is it is not uh, a an overbearing or, you know, a, a mountainous set of standards oh, of that course. you want to make them as as clear and concise and as streamlined as, I don't know. as our, possible. Our
1: code is 10 general items. I, you know, we borrowed uh, from God's success with the 10 commandments and just used <laughs> you know, 10 basic principles that, you know, if you can't sign on to these 10 basic things, then, you know, you're almost pointing a finger at yourself saying, I'm going to be a problem.
0: How much are, are you already seeing an impact with that mindset? At Penn Medicine,
1: uh, we are seeing a tremendous, tremendous impact. We we are having a, a sharp tick in the uh, issues that are coming forward. We are having a lot more attention paid to uh, behavior as opposed to some of the other things that we've that we've pointed to. We're uh-huh. doing more interventions. We are. are um, uh, uh, I'm personally taking. You know, at, at this point, it's. Uh, I'd say over a hundred calls a month just on my cell phone of people saying, you know, this happened. Is this okay? And I'm like, no, it's that's not okay. And that's exactly what we want to intervene with. Can I help you with that? And it's it is really just already raising the bar. And I think that here at Penn. Um, I know that uh, the deans of the other schools are saying, hey, you know, what's happening at Penn Medicine? I think we maybe need to look at that for our school as well. And uh, we know it's, you know, happening in the world at large as well.
0: And I would think the recognition, as you said, taking, you know, hundreds of calls on your on your smartphone, that that is unfortunately the component that probably plays out in more businesses rather than not these days. Right. I think that's right. Great seeing you again. Thanks for coming Thanks at. so much
1: for having me. Thank
0: you. Dr. Jody Foster from here at the uh, University of Pennsylvania.
1: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.